Hello everyone, and welcome to Bridging the Gap with Chief Barnes. I'm your host, Chief Sean Barnes of the Madison Police Department. The purpose of this podcast is to bring perspective to the field of policing, which is often a black box to many communities. Our department aims to bridge the gap between the police and the community we serve in order to increase trust and legitimacy in the Madison Police Department. We will be conducting interviews with stakeholders and decision makers regarding a variety of topics which affect public safety here in Madison. In our inaugural episode, entitled Where I'm From, Henry Sanders from Madison 365 will assume hosting duties. We will explore a few moments in my life which greatly influence my professional leadership style and philosophy around policing, as well as MPD's vision for public safety here in Madison. We hope you enjoy. This is Henry Sanders uh, from Madison 365, and I'm here with Chief Barnes. Well, we are back uh, with the second episode of our podcast. The first one, we talked with the chief, and I'm so excited about this part of the episode because we talked the first time in a podcast, and we talked about your story and growing up from the South, uh, single mother, stepfather who was an entrepreneur, which I love that story, by the way. Uh, and, you know, you the challenge of actually being pulled over by a police officer who uh, really was trying to, you know, search you for drugs in front of other people and a young man watching other people watch all this happen like it was normal to then you deciding that you wanted to teach. And you start to coach basketball. I mean, you, did you have any game? Could you play, though? I'm from North Carolina. Everyone uh, in North Carolina can oh, play. Do I need to start calling here, the name? Here we go. Here we go. I need to say Jordan, right? You're going to give it to Jordan. Okay, okay. Jordan, Steph Curry. Um, we can just go on. Yeah, and okay. on. Right, I'll, right. just, I'll just leave them at those two. Yeah, okay. I mean, that doesn't mean you can play, but okay, okay, coach. But you know, coach, we'll call Coach Barnes. We figured that you could play at that time. Okay, All at right. that time, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you decided that you were wanted to teach, and you were teaching for a while. And you were teaching high school, or what were you teaching? Yeah, I was teaching uh, high school. I taught uh, U.S. history and world civilization, and I taught uh, AP uh, U.S. history. And you taught where were you teaching? In I was South? teaching uh, in Windsor, North Carolina, at Bertie High School. Okay, shout out to the high school and. So you were a teacher. How long did you teach? Uh, I taught for four years. Four years. And then after those four years, you were teaching. And that, that makes sense because you use selfless a lot and serving and teaching. I can, I, I can hear that in you. Why leave that environment to become a police officer? How did that, that transition happen? You know, uh, it was a couple of things. One, I think, was my relationship with our school resource officer. And um, I had begun uh, teaching like a like an elective class. It was called Street Law, and it was designed to teach uh, students about their rights when dealing with police officers. It's one of the first courses back in probably you know '98 um, that was put in schools specifically to to keep kids out of trouble. And so my relationship with him and teaching that class, I'd have him come in and supplement the lectures, and we just had a great relationship. And I really respected him because he treated the kids so well, and he was really a resource to everyone. And he kept saying, man, you should do it. You'll be a great police officer. You know how to talk to people. And let me tell you, once you've managed 
uh, 90 high schoolers for four <laughs> years. Uh, you, you can almost, he can almost do anything. Was he black? He was. Okay. Yeah, he was. He was. He was. He was. And, um, and so he would allow me to take my class to visit the police department and things of that nature. And I just got in more and more interested. And the second thing that happened was when I was teaching, I had a very star student. His name was Tion. I won't give his last name. But Tion was one of those kids that would not pay attention, but make a 100 on my t- Like He was literally one of the smartest persons that I, I met until he disappeared one day. I was like, where is this kid? And he had uh, rode along with a cousin to do a home invasion and subsequently um, murdered the person that was in the home for a few bucks. Not not any big money. He's like was gone forever. Like he, I don't know if he's out now, but um, that kind of bothered me tremendously because I saw all the potential uh, that this young man had and everything that he was doing. I was like, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better Like, what can I do to help? And then, um, you know how things go. You know, I, I met my, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, and she started in medical school at, at Wake Forest. And it was like, well, maybe I should try something different to move closer to her. And uh, I looked at a few agencies, and, you know, the agency that I picked just spoke to me because they talked about community policing, uh, problem-oriented policing. They were really focused on doing good things in the community, and all of this was really kind of who I was and who my father raised me to be. And uh, so I applied, and, you know, I got in. Uh, you know, I was I felt like I was qualified, you know, had a degree. Um, uh, I've never smoked marijuana. I'll just put that out. I don't say yeah. that. I've never drank in my life. I've never smoked marijuana ever in my whole life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's just one of those things that um, I would like to say that my, my parents gave me some motivational speech, but it was like, if you ever pick up drugs, I'll kill you. And uh, I kind of believed them. And so... You see, you grew up around black mama. That's what that is. Did not play yeah. at all, at all. And so, you know, to grow up in my environment and to, to stay out of trouble and and not be involved, you know, was great. And then trust me, I, I had plenty of opportunities to do so. You know, my, my uncles, you know, they're, they're known in the neighborhood. But the good thing about that is people knew not to get me involved or you'd have to deal with them, right? So um, that I was very qualified and, and, and got an opportunity to police and absolutely fell in love with it to this day. Well, first of all, how long have you been married? See that? Why are you doing that? Well, I've been married for yeah, right? 16 years right. in September. Shout out to your wife, right? So, sounds like you got them on the right track. So sounds like you got them right. Yeah, so uh, shout out to you that you got, got them right. Okay, so Chief, you you decide that you, you – because I'm listening to you. I think the stereotypical thing you think of a police officer, at least from my world, is I'm someone who wants to have authority and I'm a, like a John, John Wayne and I want to come and shooting doors down, kicking the doors and arrest people so I have all this power. I actually don't hear that from you. I'm hearing you saying a community approach, someone um, you thought you had lots of talent, really uh, got in a bad situation and you like has to be a better path and I want to do something that's community-oriented, and you were and you had interaction with a police officer who was in the schools, which is a whole different conversation we have to come back to, because I think uh, that's no. a, <laughs> the broader, I caught it, though, um, <laughs> is 
where did that come from, right? Because you have it sounds like you have a different perspective what the police actually how people perceive the police, you perceive them differently, that they can impact people differently. Why is that? Well, because policing is is a growth process. And when you first come in, you have to know policy procedures and how to do things. And certainly there was a point in my career where I was a very aggressive police officer. I knew how to take people to jail, get guns off the street. You know, we're talking about, I was policing in a city the same size of, of Madison and we were having 80 homicides a year. So on the weekend, you were going to be working a homicide. And so you work to prevent that. And I did search warrants, I kicked indoors and I took people to jail who were carrying weapons or harming other people. I investigated homicide, so I did that. But this job is about uh, maturation, right? Especially as you move forward. And you realize that creating those partnerships, which I talk about a lot, is really how you get the biggest bang for your buck. And just like growing up in a farm town, everyone is your neighbor, you wave at everyone, you create that community, because you never know when you're gonna have to knock on someone's door and say, can I borrow your tractor? Right. And so for <laughs> policing, I say treat every encounter as if it's the most important encounter you're going to have that day because you never know when you're going to need that person. And that's one of the things that I've kind of uh, taken with me as I move forward through this profession. Can you teach that? I mean, from again, from a layman's perspective, there seems to be a culture, people would perceive a culture in the police officers where, you know, they protect your own, it's insular. What I'm hearing you saying, though, is, nope, we have to treat people how we want to be treated, we have to go love people, uh, be part of the community, engage them in ways that they can build trust, and then they can trust us, something happens, we can engage them, we can help them, et cetera. Can you teach that? Is that something that can you, because that's a culture, can you build that culture in a police, in a police unit? You have to teach it. You have to teach it. And the way you teach it is you have to provide opportunities for people to see their community outside of a call for service. And so when we do community uh, community engagement events, and we've done them all over the city, it's to give officers an opportunity to sit with your community absent a call for service or a problem, to see people who they are. And I think that's very important. So when we do... Uh, National Night Out, which we're going to do in August, it's always like a reset throughout the country where police officers get to go to communities that are not experiencing a particular problem so we can see each other for who we are. And just as as you described, uh, police communities, they see us the same way. It's up to us to show up and be like, hey, I have a kid. I have a wife. Uh, Some of us are, are divorced. Some of us are, are, are raising elderly parents. Police officers dealt with COVID. They still had to come to work. Like when we can show people who we are versus what you see on TV or what you may see on the news, I think we begin to kind of bridge that gap a little bit. You cannot change a problem without being proximate to that problem. That's no way. You can't, you know, I, I know we have telehealth, health, but uh, that doctor, if he needs to touch you and see you, you have to go to the office to do that. That's how you solve problems. And so community engagement is just our opportunity to diagnose problems from the community uh, through some face-to-face interaction. You've mentioned maturation a lot through this, uh, this, this podcast. And you also mentioned that when you 
were younger, sound like you were a little more aggressive in your police tactics. How do you take a young person who has that young, aggressive, I like to say John Wayne, I'm sure mm-hmm. my age here, that John Wayne type of mentality, <laughs> and, and kind of bring them into a culture and say, no, no, you mean well, but that is not the culture we have. How do you shift that into being a more of community-oriented police officer? Because I could see younger people coming in being more aggressive just because of age, right? How do you bring them in to get them into your culture? Well, I think it's two things. One, you want to make sure that you're hiring people who are mature. And remember, when I came in, I'd already been a police officer uh, for, I'd already been a police officer for, excuse me, a teacher for four years. Um, I was a Marine reservist. Like, I had life experiences. So my level of maturity wasn't, you know, uh, someone who just got out of college and been writing papers for the last four years. I actually had life experience. But the other way you do that is through supervision. And you really have to make sure that your supervisors are locked in and that span of control is there. Because I was an aggressive police officer because I policed in in in, in East Greensboro and we had a lot of problems, especially with gun violence. And, um, you know, I, I will tell you, uh, probably in, in my first two years, I mean, I, I probably racked up more arrests than, you know, I, I put my stuff up against anyone. I put it to you that way. But one thing that I, that I will tell you is that having a good, strong supervisor that knows how to pull you back and knows how to give you that constructive criticism or feedback or a good swift kick in the pants if you need it is essential because, Policing has become hypersensitive to criticism, but that's how you grow. That's how I was able to become a more efficient police officer by listening to supervisors that was like, no, you didn't handle this quite the right way, and there's a better way to get to this end. And um, again, I'm just so fascinated to listen to your journey because you're, you're actually even blowing some of the stereotypes that I have of police officers, so this is actually good and healthy for me to hear this. But you mentioned uh, you were being aggressive when you were younger and, and, and having someone being around you to pull you up. It reminds me of what, was it Memphis that this, it wasn't Memphis police officers happened? And yeah. All, all black folk really involved. Uh, and I might be seeing this wrong, but to me, they're aggressive. Yeah. You're coming in and probably in, knew that community, probably figured that they had to be aggressive with more challenging communities, that they had to be more aggressive to get things done. They went overboard. And you know, someone died from that incident. As a chief, you're looking at that incident from your perspective, how I'm listening to you now as a chief and how you see policing, do you see, do you see anything that you said that you would have done differently, how putting a team together, how they aggressive, like what, what would you have done differently? Yeah, you know, I've, I've been on teams like that before. And um, I, again, I go back to the previous response. Number one, uh, where was the supervisor? I still have not heard where the supervisor was. And again, we had supervisors, you know, some of my supervisors from the Vietnam era. When they said do something, you did it. There wasn't any conversation about it. So having good supervision. And the second thing is when I became, you know, lieutenant, executive officer, whatever, you have to put these teams together. And then so you realize that in order to put teams together, you have to understand personalities. 
And so one of the things that we did uh, in my former agency is we had personality tests that we took. Uh, it's called the DISC, D-I-S-C, where there's different types of personalities. And so when you're putting uh, these teams together, you don't want to have all D-type personalities on a team. You want to have a D, a I, a S, and a C so that you balance each other out. And so I'm, I'm, it looks like to me perhaps maybe they didn't have the balance that they needed because on my teams you always had someone that was super-duper smart and could write a search warrant in like two seconds. You had someone that was, you know, super-duper good at talking to people. They were the negotiator. That was probably my, my position because I was a hostage negotiator or crisis negotiator for 10 years of my career. I, I think everyone should do it. So I was the, the one that, you know, I could calm people down. I get people to, you know, to, to talk to me and, and I'm playing with the kids or whatever in a chaotic situation. And then you have to have people, you know, that, that can turn it on when you need to turn it on because there are some dangerous people out here and you do need to watch your back with this. And so what I saw in that is was there any balance uh, in the team that you put together and where was the supervision at that time, you know, these vehicle chases and foot chases, they need to be supervised. You know, again, my, my rookie year, um, again, very aggressive, did a lot of work, got a lot of seizures, guns, you name it. I was rookie of the year. And then I lost it because I wrecked my car. And if you wreck a vehicle at that time, you got discipline. And so because I was under discipline, I wasn't able to get uh, rookie of the year. I was chasing a car. Um, it was stolen. It was raining. It was, you know, two in the morning and I lost control and, 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 and crashed. Um, and they said, Hey, you're not going to be rookie of the year. And I laughed it off. I'm like, Hey, who puts a fence in their front yard? I mean, you know, if it wasn't for the fence, I wouldn't have crashed into the tree, but you know, you laugh it off, you learn from it, you grow from it. And then you keep moving on. Did you catch the person? Uh, someone else did. I didn't. I was, <laughs> I was, uh, I was, Closely being wrapped around a tree, so I, I did not. I never even saw the person. You uh, mentioned balance. Yes. How do you even like you saying stuff and you kind of say like nonchalantly, uh, hostage and all these different things? How do you balance uh, your police officers working for you and with you, and yourself? How do you balance that? Seeing the the worst of the worst challenging, you know, I guess, you know, I think people don't underestimate what police officers have to do. I can't even imagine that you probably see the, like I said, you have to see the worst. People don't call police officers when they come in a party, right? They call when something's going wrong. So that means you're always interacting with negativity all the time. Your police officer deal with negativity all the time. And I would say that there's an environment where people are challenging police officers more and more. How do you keep the morale up with your, your type of police officing. And, and then also, it has to be a mental, emotional, spiritual challenge to keep them wanting to engage in the job. One from a community perspective, but also what they're seeing. How do you do that as a chief? Yeah, you know, you have to, as a chief, I have to set the clear expectations for what I want. And, you know, I ask for three things from everyone. I ask for your urgency, I ask for your balance, and I ask for your consistency. And so when it comes to creating balance, I want to give them as many opportunities as I can to develop and grow. I want to invest uh, in them so that they know that we care about them. We want them to stay 
uh, here at the Madison Police Department, and we want them uh, to be the best versions that they can be. You know, we're not, we don't all come into policing with the same level of maturity, the same level of, uh, of, of understanding. Um, and so, you know, for me, my rookie year, I got to be honest, it was kind of easy. It was like, you know, you, you roll up on the block and people start running and cops run and I'm like standing still. They're like, why aren't you chasing him? Because he wants you to chase him because I've seen this before, right? Uh, and and uh, it, it kind of helped, you know, kind of make cases and things of that nature. But um, we have very high expectations here. I have very high expectations. We're always looking for the most efficient, evidence-based way to do things. And and I will tell you, I, I know I'm a frustrating uh, supervisor, boss, coworker, whatever you want to have it, because those are the things that, that I require. You know, when we give assignments to officers, it's because we know they can complete them. And I'm looking to see that, that amount of urgency. We want them to be balanced. You know, you can't just simply rely on, on traffic stops or simply rely on search warrants or nuisance abatement. We have to look at the entirety of it. And problem-oriented policing gives us a way to do that. And then lastly, we, we ask for you to be consistent. You know, the, the worst thing you ever want to do is work for someone and you don't know who's going to show up that day. And I remember doing my PFC interview, I told them that. I said, you know, with me, you're going to get consistency. People will never have to say, well, what kind of mood is he in before I go in his office? I'm not that person. I'm the same person absolutely every day I come to work because – I feel grateful. I feel I feel uh, blessed uh, to be in this position. And when I wake up in the morning, you know, I, I say my prayers, and it's a prayer of thanksgiving for the opportunity uh, to serve a great community. Sum up your leadership style to me, because I hear community, selflessness, all those things. But how would you? Because I also hear like, but I'm also I could be a hard, I could be hard if I need to be, and I have a high standard. So how do you, how do you wrap all that up and say this is what my leadership style is? My leadership style, um, I'm a visionary leader, and what I mean by that is I've always had the ability or discernment, whatever word you want to use, to see the best potential in people, and that is often very frustrating. It's almost like a parent who who sees a, 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 a child and is like, I know what he can be, and I want to push him or her or they to, to be that. And so my, my leadership style is I want to set, we have set a shared vision for our police department uh, as a national model for exceptional policing. And we're going to do that through being selfless public servants, uh, effective community partnerships, and, of course, evidence-based policing. But you have to set a vision uh, and you have to know where you want to go. And I like spending time with officers and command staff, those who are ambitious, those who want to lead, take a greater role or responsibility uh, in policing here in Madison. And I think that's what kind of gives me the, 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 the greatest joy. You know, as a person, uh, as a leader, um, I would like to say that uh, I'm, I'm demanding, right? So there's some some emotional intelligence there. I, I know that I'm demanding. I know that um, I like to have one-on-one, -on -one, you know, meetings. I don't, I don't go into meetings uh, with with the intent on embarrassing anyone. I go into meetings with the intent on making sure that people are are great and going to be great. Um, I'm I'm usually balanced. 
Uh, one of the things that I've heard about myself throughout the years is that I'm, I'm sometimes hard to read because I don't I don't tip my hand a lot, you know, and uh, I'm not a poker player or anything like that. I just feel like it's better to be balanced and give off positive energy and sometimes internalize uh, some of that negative energy that you may be feeling from people about what it is uh, that, that you're doing. But I'm I'm very proud of the work that we've done just in two short years. We have a lot of great things coming. I think in the police department, we're using technology to make things easier and better for people. We're using evidence-based policing. Our community engagement efforts are probably greater than they've been in a very, very long time. And we're starting to come out of the fog that we were in uh, during the pandemic when we had to focus in on specific things because of our resources. I have three more questions for you. Sure. Three. All right. One's personal, right? One's about uh, some kind of controversy about, you know, policing. Um, And then the easiest one is police officers. How many police officers do you have now? Are you you understaffed or? Well, so we're currently um, staffed. I think um, we'll probably have about 40 people in the next police academy, which is about normal. Uh, when you look at attrition, we lose a lot of people to retirements because we hire in classes. So every year you're going to have a class of people who are going to retire and then people who leave. Um, but I think we're okay. I think we're at a good place. Uh, certainly every police chief in the country will tell you that we'd like to have more, pe- more people. But I think that uh, things are certainly returning to normal. Personal question. All right. What would your wife define you as as a leader doing this how would she say you are like how would she define you as a police officer as a chief as a leader uh she'll say that i'm always on i'm always in police mode she'll say that uh, i need to relax a little bit more uh she'll say that i internalize things a lot and that i'm very detailed oriented which i am and that i pay uh too much attention uh, to uh, criticism and should celebrate wins more. Okay, so that's wisdom. Uh, let's let's the wife what the wife says. I, that tells me I, I believe that more than what you just told me. So <laughs> I'm gonna go with what your wife just said. Yeah. And then lastly, you mentioned uh, earlier about community policing. Yes. And uh, you uh, you had a community police officer who was basically a mentor of yours who got you into the the business of, of being a police officer. And I know some of the controversy around that in Madison by having police officers in schools. Where do you, how do you connect that? Because some of you had such a great experience with that, and that actually influenced you and something influenced some of the students, so you know the impact of it. But you know some of the people who are against it. How do you connect that, and where do you, where do you land on that? Well, I, I, you know, I think that it's all about identity. And... It, the thing about being a police officer, especially about being a black police officer, is it's how you see yourself, how others see you, and knowing the difference between the two. That is what makes a good police officer. When you show up, you know who you are. But when they look at you, what do they see you as? And I think that um, we have to do a better job, I have to do a better job of explaining the identity of this police department. We are selfless public servants. We do believe in continuous improvement. We are a police department that understands that other people have their truths about who they think police officers are, and we respect those. But what we try to do here every day is to create public sentiment, 
positive public sentiment through the work that we actually do here in Madison. Uh, Abraham Lincoln once stated that without public sentiment, you can't do anything. But through public sentiment, anything is possible. And so that's what I try to do here in the Madison Police Department. And that means working with people who, quite frankly, may not like us. That means working with politicians and elected officials who may not understand our vision. Because for me not to listen to them and not to want to hear their perspective would be me being selfish because it brings me some type of, of, of consternation. But no, we're selfless. And so when you're selfless, you have tough conversations with people. You talk to people who don't understand your philosophy and you agree to understand their truth if it's theirs. Yeah. I was saying all the time, I don't have to like you, but I have to love you. That's right. And there's a difference. That's right. So, Chief, thank you. This was so fun having thank this. You. And I hope this uh, podcast is wonderful and a blessing for you and others. And uh, I'm going to listen to your future podcast. You're going to think you're going to do this a month? or? Yeah, we're going to do this uh, once a month. We have some really, really great ideas uh, coming, some things that I think people want to hear, some historical perspectives about policing here in Madison. We're going to get into the SRO debate here uh, on the podcast. That should be a good one. Um, still trying to think about if I want to have politicians on. I don't know. But um, we're going to have some very exciting things to talk about um, here in the upcoming months, just as an opportunity to do what we said in the beginning, which is bridging the gap between the community and the police department, because it's very, very important. And I want to thank you on behalf of the brave men and women of the Madison Police Department. I want to thank the members of the Madison Police Department, our commission and non-commission staff, about 500 of us who work every day to ensure that Madison is a safe community. And we're doing our absolute best day in and day out uh, to create a police department that makes you proud. And thank you for everything that you do and have done uh, in our community. Uh, with Madison 365, and if you ever need us, please don't hesitate to call. Hopefully, hopefully I don't need you. That's, that's well, you know, in a good, maybe it's a community engagement event or something. I'm joking. I'm joking. Some, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> thank you. This was an honor, for, and I'm glad I could do this with you. And I wish you well in the future. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>